You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. That's letstalktorah at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. The weather is a little cold, a little drizzly, a little wet, but don't worry. Warm weather is right around the corner because I really need some warm weather. We had some last week, and we're going to get some this week, but the rain is great. It is watering my new grass, and all is amazing. This week's Torah portion, it's actually a double Torah portion this week, and there is so much to talk about. And, I, you know, I was going to go in one direction. I think I'm going to go backwards, which may not be backwards. What do I mean? This week's Torah portion discusses um, what we'll call leprosy, or tsara'as is the Hebrew word. And that itself is debatable. Is it a physical malady? Is it spiritual? Is it spiritual that becomes physical? And in the order of the Torah, it talks about first on a person, then it talks about on clothing, and then it talks about on a house. Um, but I actually want to talk about the house first, and I'll see. I have so much stuff to, to do today. We'll see if we, we get into the person himself. So there is a concept. It says about that when the Jewish people enter the land of Israel, so God tells them he's going to place this tzara'as, this leprosy, on their houses. So first of all, that's a little bit strange. I mean, it's, gonna, it's automatic. I thought it's only if I don't speak so nicely. What's this automatic business? Second of all, um, it's not, I mean, it can't be leprosy. Leprosy is a, is, a, is a disease that human beings get. Maybe it could be on animals. I have no idea. But on, on a building, on a house. So that right away has to open your eyes to realize that it's not something physical. It has to be spiritual. Yes, there's the Maimonides who talks about it being a physical, at least on a person. What he does with the house is a whole nother discussion, which we're, I'd rather not get into today. So, but the first question is, the verse makes it sound like that God is going to place it on a person's house, almost no matter what which seems to be problematic. So there's a fascinating Rashi. Rashi brings down a Medrash. The Medrash says that when the Jewish people left Egypt, which the season we're in, right? So the Jewish people leave Egypt. So everybody in the world knew that God had already told Abraham that his descendants would be slaves in, in a land that's not theirs. And then they'll leave And then God will give them the land of Canaan, what we call uh, Israel. So we're going to leave Egypt, which we did, and went through the Red Sea. 
And we are marching. So if you live in the land of Canaan, you're petrified. You just saw or heard uh, what God did to the Egyptians. So you know the Jews are coming. So what do you do? So the first thing you're probably going to do is uh, hide all your valuables. Which is what they did. I was explaining to my class, houses in those days, if you built real walls, um, were very, very thick walls. They didn't have the nice bricks like we have or the two-by-fours. Houses were built much thicker. So they, they hollowed out areas in their walls, and they piled all their gold and silver. Now, what's interesting is that I don't know what people were thinking because the Jewish people were stuck in the desert after different trials and tribulations. Um, they're stuck in the desert for 40 years. So what happens? You, you you know they're coming. You're not sure if they're coming. At what point you figure out, eh, maybe they're not coming. I should take my money. But in any case, it would seem that they left their money hidden in the walls. So now the Jewish people are going to come to the land. They're going to conquer the land. And they don't know where the money is. They probably don't even know that there's money to be found. Right? They're not like marauders. They're not robbers coming and saying, you know, where do you hide your money? They came, they conquered the land, they're going to move into the houses that exist. So, so why would they even think to look for money? So Rashi therefore says, since they don't know that there's going to be money there, in the process, when a house gets tsara'as, when the house gets this leprosy, and it's not white, by the way, in a house. In a house, it's like a reddish or a greenish, I think. When a house gets this tsara'as, this leprosy, um... In the process, you end up pulling out those stones that were discolored. You're going to pull those stones out. You're going to take them outside of the city, and you're going to replace the wall with new stones. And if that doesn't work, you're going to demolish the house. So when you're going to pull out the stone, that's when they would find their jewelry. So, okay, very good. So, therefore, God is saying that you're going to go to the land of Israel— and you're going to find, and I want to give you this money. And you're not going to be able to find it. I'm going to put some ass in the house. You're going to break out, uh, break open the wall. And you're going to find the gold and silver and jewels and all the good stuff. Fine. So why, why through this troubling um, process? Why through this process of, uh, I mean, when there's saras in the house, let's back up. What happens like this. You see this discoloration on the wall. You probably tried to repaint it or you tried to scrape it off or you tried to wipe it down or wash it down and soap and bleach. Whatever you try, it's not coming off. So it occurs to you, uh-oh, this might be this tsaras, this leprosy. So you're going to have to travel to find the coin. And it was only the priest, even though anybody could be smart enough to look at it and know the rules and regulations, but only the priest, the Kohen, can actually declare that it is Tsaras. Without the Kohen's declaration, it's zero. And there's purity laws. So anything in the house will become impure. And you can't go into the house for a week or two, and sometimes three weeks. And there's going to be a process to make things pure. It's a real hassle. Now, I'm not saying you're not interested in a hassle to, um, to make some money, right? And we're all willing to work a little bit. And when everything's said and done... Um, you'll be happy. But let's imagine the process. So you're going to go to the Kohen. The Kohen's going to tell you, okay, before I show up, I want everything on the front lawn. 
And there's other reasons why that's done, which we'll get to. Kohen says, everything has to be emptied out of the house before I come in and look. And the Kohen will take his uh, merry old time until he shows up. And he will get to the house and everything's emptied out. He'll go in, he'll look at it. And generally speaking, the first time he looks, he just has to rope off the house, you know, get that nice yellow tape and say, caution, no entering. And he's going to come back a week later and they'll scrape the stones and they'll pull out the stones and they'll wait another week until it either goes away. It's a three-week process. It's going to go away or it's going to spread or come back. And in which case, then they'll demolish the house. Okay, so good. So by the second week, you're going to pull out the stones. You're going to see the gold and silver. Beautiful. But for two weeks, you were really, really suffering. For two weeks, you were stressed. You were not sure. The Kohen is busy telling you, you must have done something wrong. Here's a list of possibilities. Does this make sense? Does that make sense? And for most of us, everything makes sense. You're stingy, which we're going to talk about. You slander. Uh, you steal. Um, amongst other things, certainly by the house. So th- there's a pressure, right? You're not getting this pressure if you don't deserve it. Right? Like, like, why are you getting this pressure? So, so it becomes now a fascinating thought process. God wants to give you this gold and silver, but you're going to have to go through this stressful process to, to deserve it. Now, um, by the way, we just uh, had a fantastic show. If you missed that last show, you've got to go check it out with Barry Shore. We had such a good time. And that, right, his whole point is using joy and happiness to deal with stress. We talked about his book. You missed the show. You must go back and listen. Barry is just the most unbelievable person we've had. Um, so, again, there's a lot of stress. So why is this happening? So I really believe the main reason this is taking place is because, for the most part, none of us are perfect. We're not perfect. We all do things wrong. We all deserve a punishment more often, less often, to say we don't deserve what we get is, is, is silliness. We, we are, because we're not perfect, we, we all have a way to go, a path to travel to, to perfect ourselves. So it's hard to imagine somebody doesn't deserve the suffering. But uh, my son has asked me, I've talked about it in class many times, what if the person doesn't deserve it? You're a real righteous fellow, but there's gold and silver in your, in your walls. So I've said for years um, that the righteous guy, the righteous person, that tzaddik, he doesn't deserve to suffer. So for sure, God's just going to make the wall collapse. They're going to want to do a home improvement. They're going to find it. They're not going to need to go through the tzara'as process just to uh, find that gold and silver. So my son calls me up and says, you know, you always say what I just told you guys. And can you tell me where it says that? And I said, I don't know, let me see. I look at one place, next place, next place. I'm opening up books all over the place. And I am not being successful in finding that last statement that I made. That for the righteous person, the wall will just collapse. Um, so I'm still looking. I'm pretty sure I know where the location is. I'm pretty sure it's a certain, it's a, it should be in a medrash. But the, the book that I used to find all that in was lost years ago in the flood and that happened to have been one of the books I never replaced it was actually a set so I have to go to a, a library in school and I have to find it and uh, I will find it for my son because I did tell him I'll find it but in any case 
That's basically what's going on. Now, just to back up, because might as well, there's some some nice nuances that we should touch on. And that is, um, again, the standard reason why the tzaras, leprosy, will come is because a person doesn't talk nicely. doesn't talk nicely about others. He says stories about others that are untrue or true, but that puts the person in a bad light. And just that whole concept of speaking that nicely about people is just, uh, it's just not a good thing. It doesn't make you a good person. So what happens is, so he's going to be punished, and God wants him to learn that he does not like a person to use his mouth in that way. We have to use our mouth properly. So, um, so that's one reason. However, there's another fascinating or two reasons specifically why the house has to get emptied out. There are stingy people out there. There are people that you ask them to borrow things and they, for no good reason, will not lend it to you. I'm not talking about that you have a neighbor that every time you lend something, it doesn't come back, it comes back broken, doesn't come back the same way you gave it to them. I'm not even talking about such a case. I'm talking about just simply stated, the guy asked you to borrow a, a hammer. The guy asked you to borrow a screwdriver. You know, nothing's going to happen to it. Uh I don't have it. I can't find it. I don't know where it is. I, I don't have any. So what happens? You get this tsaras on the house, and uh, you got to empty everything out. Now, you know the neighbor is going to come to see what's going on. This is excitement in the neighborhood. Um, and there was a car crash. I mean, whatever, an accident in my neighborhood the other day. So what do you think happens? Everybody goes to look. You see police cars. You see flashing lights. You want to know what's going on. Was anybody hurt? I didn't go. But people go. We're, we're curious. We want to see what's happening. Uh, excitement in the neighborhood. So if the guy's emptying out his house and every, everybody hears a coin is coming, maybe Saras, the neighborhood's coming to watch. So now there's three hammers and 14 screwdrivers. So the, to your neighbor who you just said you don't have any, right? Uh, hello, you said you don't have any hammers. Look how many hammers you have. Look how many screwdrivers you have. So the Torah is telling you, don't pretend that you don't have. You don't trust the person, so say straight out, I don't trust you. I wish I could. It's dangerous. Uh, um, I'm afraid to lend it out, but but don't be dishonest because we'll just find out anyways. Or, or in a similar vein, we, um, in a similar vein, um, let's say you borrow things and you're just not good at returning them. You're just not good at it. You borrow, and you neglect to return it. You forget to return it. It gets lost in your house. You're not responsible. Your neighbor comes and says, you remember I lent you, uh, I lent you a pot. I lent you my vacuum cleaner. I lent you my lawnmower. Oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have it. I don't remember. Are you sure? I don't think so. So now you got to empty everything out of the house. Oh, hey, that's my basketball. It even has my name on it. Oh, Hey, look, there's my vacuum cleaner. There's my hammer. There's, right? So the neighbor who borrows and doesn't return, all of a sudden, all that stuff will be on the front lawn and all that stuff will get returned. So, but I wanted to, to take a different track when we look at what happens to the house. Um, I saw some other fascinating reasons just last night of why the house, why why God is saying he will be putting this tzara'as on the house. Why? Why is that going to be happening? So he says like this. He says, some of those 
Canaanim, some of those people in the land of Israel, before the Jewish people got there, their homes were actually house of worship for idols or people, they all worshiped idols, but, but they actually made their house like into an idol worshiping type of home. So it doesn't, the vibes of the house, you know, people talk about these things. It's, there, there's something to it. So you'd be in a house, you get certain vibes. There, there's something in this house. So what happens is if they, if the house was a house of idol worship, then what happens is the walls become permeated with this idol worship. It's like it's stuck in the walls. So God doesn't want his righteous, religious, Jewish person living in such a house. But how are you supposed to know if the house was no good? So God will put leprosy on the house. has nothing to do with you. Yes, obviously you did something. Otherwise, why are you suffering? But it's, it's really not you. It's the house has to be demolished. This house has to be torn down because this house was used for idol worship. It's not good to be in such a house. For years, people have always told me that uh, I bought a house from a, an old-time Detroiter. Uh, they weren't in town anymore. By the time I came, one wasn't alive. The wife had gone to Israel. But people used to tell me it was such a special house and, and there was so much kindness done in that house and they took care of people and so much teaching in that house. In other words, the walls of the house were permeated with good deeds. So it sounds strange, but this is actually Kliyakar and he's saying the same, the same idea over here that the house is going to get this leprosy, the house is going to get this tsaras because... Uh, because it just wasn't used in a good way. So therefore, the house has to be demolished. But you would never know. That's why the verse says, God says you're going to go to the land of Israel, and some of those houses are going to have to be torn down. can't tear down all the houses. That's silly. You don't know which houses need to be torn down. So therefore, we're going to... The, 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 so God is going to sort of make an arrow. Say, this house was not a good house. You don't want to be in such a house. We're going to tear it down. You rebuild another house. Okay, my time is flying, and we just talked about one little point of the tzaras, and I actually, I told you over these next couple weeks, I, uh, I wanted to go through that Mishnah, in Ethics of the Fathers, to talk about the 48 ways to prepare for Torah study. So we did about five last week, and I have a few more listed over here, and I don't even know if I can get through all of them. I probably can't, but if I could, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if we can get through a few more. So the next two actually go together. It's like fear of God. It's, I've written down awe and reverence. It's different types of, of fear. But the idea is there's a certain attitude that a student needs towards his teacher. It doesn't mean the teacher has to be a bully. It doesn't mean the teacher has to, has to beat the child. You know, God forbid for that, right? But... But it means my attitude is one of, 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 not fear. Fear fear means afraid. I teach my children. It's not, I'm not afraid of a great person. I am in awe of that person. When I, when I want to speak to a great person, so I'm nervous. He's not going to, he's not going to yell at me. He's not going to discipline me. He's not going to hit me. But this is such a great person. Maybe I just don't want to make a fool out of myself. Perhaps. Right, but I, I there's a certain level of it's like respect. So to be able to study Torah properly, the person has a person has to know that if I am if I'm going to this teacher to get Torah from him, 
So my attitude is not a flippant one of, you know, I'm better than you. I know more than you. How much do you have to say to me anyways? What could you possibly teach me? Then you won't get anything. You're not going to learn a word. The only way I can, I can receive is if I respect the person I'm receiving from. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was by a bar mitzvah. No, I'm sorry, by a, uh, a sheva brachas last night. That's like a, and the week after a wedding. So every night there's like parties with friends and family. And, and people get up and they'll talk. And uh, so one of the rabbis who got up, he said such a beautiful thought. He said, you know, we know when it comes to Torah study, and, I, and I, it's going to connect two of them, you're supposed to have awe, right? There's like a fear, there's a carefulness, but there's also a joy. So how is it possible to have joy and fear simultaneously? So he said a beautiful thought. Imagine you're by a wedding, and everybody enjoys the wedding, and you're, and you're the family. It's, it's your, doesn't matter, brother, child, relative that's getting married and you want to dance and your four-year-old or five-year-old is with you and it's a little hard for them to dance. Little kids love to, to dance while they're on somebody's shoulders. They love it. First of all, they're high up so they can see what's going on and they're moving fast and they're not getting trampled and the, the, the shine on a child's face when he's on top of his father's shoulders and dancing and, and swinging around and everybody's happy and there's music and there's noise. It's beautiful. But without fail, every father or brother, whatever, if they're giving a ride on their shoulders to a child, will tell the child, hold on tight. Right? You know, I'm going to be moving. I'm going to be running. You know, I'm going to try to hold you, but you also have to hold on. Now, sometimes they hold on so tight they could choke you. But... Um, but right, isn't that what happens? So the child is glowing, but he's holding on tight. Right? That's a little bit of of these these multiple um, these facets of how we recognize we have to study. We have to to study Torah properly. We have to enjoy it. It has to be major enjoyment. That's one of the things we're going to talk about in a second. That's a major enjoyment in the Torah study. Otherwise, it doesn't sink in. Right? We talked about a lot of this idea of joy in the last show. Right? Without that that emotion of joy, <clears throat> you won't be able to it won't it won't stick. At the same time you have to be fearful, right? I, I, I'm playing with fire, right? This is God's Torah, right? So I have to I have to hold on tight and enjoy it. So talking about joy, right? It's the word actually in English I saw is cheerfulness. That uh, Learning Torah study has to be pleasant. If it's sweet, you'll continue to study and you'll enjoy it. If it is not sweet, if it is not pleasant, then it's, it's, then it's just another subject. It could be math, could be science, could be English literature. It's just another subject. And those who have uh, you know, gone on to higher learning, they know in anything you want to study. If you don't enjoy it, you can't study it. You can't. It doesn't become part of you. The the enjoyment makes makes it who you are. So I was by Bar Mitzvah last week. I said an amazing story with Rabbi Kivager. Rabbi Kivager was known. He lived in the 1700s. He was known for asking the most difficult questions and coming up with brilliant answers. And Rabbi Kivager was uh, at some type of uh, gathering, and a child over there asked a question that this great. Rabbi Eger himself had brought up, 
wow, ooh, this child, he thought of, he thought of this question. What a great question. And a few minutes later, another child, I don't know how old, let's say 12, 13, comes up with a brilliant answer. Brilliant. Off the cuff. And the same answer that this Rabbi Eger had worked on years to develop. And people saw that Rabbi Akiva Eger was not impressed with this child. Couldn't understand such a brilliant answer, such a brilliant child. How could you not be impressed? So somebody came over to the Rabbi Akiva Eger later and said, like, come on, this kid came up with a brilliant answer. Why, why weren't you impressed? He says, you know, there was no emotion when the child said that answer, he could care less. He just said it like something educational. He said, I guarantee you nothing will come from this child. And the truth was, unfortunately, nothing did come from that child. Because if if we don't have that emotion, that joy, that 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 just loving to study, it's not going to stick. And my music is playing, and therefore we have to say goodbye. So, as always, I hope you enjoyed it. Short and sweet. Thank you, of course, for wonderful sponsor. Listen, you know, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David, Kelsey, and Ellen in the back. I hope I left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Every room inside is filled.